BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Thanks for joining us for another week of Take Two. We're switching things up with this new world we're living in with coronavirus. Instead of our right and left viewpoints this week, we're going to be talking to some of our gubernatorial candidates. We're starting this week with Governor John Huntsman Jr. I don't even know what to call you these days anymore, if it should be ambassador, <laughs> governor, gubernatorial <laughs> candidate, but all of the above, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Heidi. John will do. John will do. Well, happy birthday. Yeah. I hear you turned the big 60 yesterday. I, I did. And and somebody asked me how I felt about that. And I said, I must be asymptomatic because I don't feel any different than I did at 59. Just the same. Well, that is terrific news. Well, this is definitely something we're all trying to get used to, this brave new world. This is our first Zoom invite. So thanks for being with us on this as well. Uh, this has to be changing campaigning drastically for you right now. And I noticed a few days ago um, on social media, you were asking the governor to do what he could to make some changes to the process right now of making sure you can get signatures because we're in that process where you can't be going out door to door and meeting with other people. The governor announcing a change yesterday. Was that good news for your campaign? Well, I, I think so. I think it's good news, not just for our campaign, but for many other campaigns that are still out relying on signatures to get on the primary ballot. Let's remember that you've got a couple of pathways you can use. One is gathering the requisite number of signatures. The other is the convention process, which I love, too. I've done that twice before successfully, and we're going to compete uh, at the convention as well. But as an insurance policy, I wanted to make sure, like a lot of others, that we got the requisite number of signatures, which are 28,000 in the case of governor exceedingly high, uh, Heidi, I have to tell you, uh, most other states are way lower than that. So do we need reform in terms of the whole signature process? Absolutely, we need serious reform. But those are the rules. And uh, we've turned in about 40,000 signatures. Uh, the validation rate is curiously low. Uh, we have more to go and we're going to get it done. But the problem here was uh, with this, with the weeks remaining for signature gathering, it has become increasingly difficult because of the pandemic that has swept the land. So what the governor has done increasingly makes it uh, a little bit easier, at least to do it electronically, at least some, some of it more electronically. So 40,000, that's a significant number. And you're saying that they're not coming back validated. Does that mean maybe some of these people signed prior to a different candidate and then they're wiped out and they can't be used again? Or do you know why they're coming back invalid? It, it, it can mean that. It can mean that uh, folks who have become or registered as Republicans, that the process it takes with the county before it gets to the lieutenant governor's office uh, hasn't gone through sufficient uh, time to allow that to show up officially. It could be that the signatures don't match. I mean, something as uh, arbitrary as that uh, causes uh, somebody to get disqualified. So there are several reasons why uh, some of these signatures might not be uh, validated. But it's extremely frustrating and we're working through it and we're asking the lieutenant governor to work with us to see if we can do uh, an accounting of those that they have bumped back uh, as disqualified. So between that effort and our continuing effort now uh, more electronically to gather more signatures, 
we're going to make it. I have no doubt about that. So tell me how that works, because people at home right now that want to become a part of this process and sign for you or any other candidate, how do you go about it? Do you have this posted on your uh, 2020 website? Where do they go if they want to sign for you? Yeah, so they just have to go to Huntsman2020.com backslash signatures, and they can find everything they need there. We've got a lot of volunteers, wonderful volunteers, who are making calls to register Republicans around the state, walking them through the efforts. We've had people who have just reached out to our campaign office asking how they can do it. So go to the website, Huntsman2020.com backslash signatures, and that's probably the, the best place to start. Perfect. So tell me how things have changed, because I feel like where we were a week ago and two weeks ago was drastically different for whether we're talking about gubernatorial candidates, if we're talking about the president, all of the campaigns right now really are switching gears. You have to reach people in a different manner. What are you doing to keep campaigning, keep talking to Utahns as we head into this strange time? Well, it's a little bit like if you're a pilot and you're told you can't fly, or if you're a swimmer and you're told you can't jump in the water, we're in the people game. And, uh, I love people. I really like getting out. That's my favorite part of politics is getting around and meeting people and hearing the good and the bad. That's just all part of our system. And when all of a sudden we're in lockdown mode and you can't see people face to face, you can't meet with big groups, you can't do town hall meetings, all of the tools of the trade that we traditionally rely upon are now not usable. So we're having to do things as clinically sanitary as teletown halls and uh, things on social media. So, you know, it, it lacks the punch and it lacks the immediacy and the excitement of live events, but we have no choice. That's exactly what we're doing. And I suspect all other candidates are doing that too. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the changes that are happening in the state of Utah. No matter who takes over for governor, they're going to have um, some serious changes and a new world to take over too. We're hoping that their recovery comes soon here in Utah across the country, but we don't know how long that's going to take right now. As you're watching decisions being made, are you on the side of some who are writing in and saying, we really need to shut the entire state down right now? Or are you thinking that things are running okay how we are and we gotta keep looking and watching the science and the numbers? What do you think should happen? Well, I wanna make sure that we take care of our health and we take care of our economy. You wanna make sure that a bad economy in the aftermath of the storm doesn't create more harm than the virus itself. So I think it has to be a very uh, thoughtful and, and pragmatic balancing act. I think we had to keep as many businesses open as we possibly can. We need to throw our businesses, particularly our small businesses, a lifeline to make sure that they don't uh, send out pink slips. And right now that's happening every day. Thousands of people are getting laid off and we shouldn't have to do that. We should have a plan in place, and I released my economic plan today that really calls for aggressive measures for the state to be a first responder and for the banks to extend zero uh, uh, interest rate loans, working uh, capital credit loans to small businesses to keep them going so they can keep their employees on the, on the rolls. The feds are going to come in with a lot of stimulus money, but that's going to take a while, and the bureaucratics of all that is never easy. Meanwhile, we need to act promptly locally through our banks and even two to three hundred million dollars from our rainy day fund. We have a billion dollars in the state rainy day fund. If this isn't a rainy day, Heidi, I don't know what is a rainy day. And we can use that as some emergency measures to keep small businesses moving and give them the confidence they need. So if you were the governor right now, would you call a special session and try to use that money to help businesses or what would you do with it to make that money work? Yesterday. <laughs> A week ago, two weeks ago. So uh, two weeks ago, I basically uh, announced some economic measures that I thought we should be doing immediately. 
And yes, absolutely, I would be doing that. We listen. We have to we have to breach the chasm, and we don't know if it's going to be four months or whether it's going to be six months. It's not going to be forever, and we have to make sure that we have some very strong, bold emergency measures to make sure that we don't fall into an unemployment hole that is going to create structural unemployment afterwards. That needs to be done today because I do believe that the economy, strong as it was before, is going to bounce back pretty quickly. So we have to minimize the damage to the sun in the meantime. So working with our banks to get zero interest, working uh, capital loans to small business, drawing down from the rainy day fund, looking at our sales taxes and how we can maybe be creative with that, turning some of the T, uh, returning some of the TRT taxes to our local counties to make sure that they can keep more of what they earn from the travel and tourism revenue. There's a lot that we can do, but it's going to take leadership and working with the legislature like yesterday, not tomorrow, in order to get where we need to be. And I think that's the urgency a lot of people are feeling right now. They want something to get done and not everyone knows how to solve these problems. So um, you've got this economic plan right now. You talk often uh, when I hear you speak about federalism and states and they really are the ones that can figure out problems better oftentimes than the national government. Is this something where Utah can lead out on and make good decisions and really be a state that is buoyed up by these kind of decisions locally? I think absolutely. Listen, we are uh, the states are the, the incubators of the laboratories of democracy. And we're all sovereign entities. We have our own state constitution. We have our duly elected officials and we have a can-do population. The population here in Utah loves to solve problems. They like to pull themselves up by the bootstraps when times are tough. Uh, and they like to kind of uh, pull together and plan for the future. And I think we have some enormous opportunities basically to look at best practices as we get through, not just the health phase of this, but the economic revitalization phase, which I think could be more damaging than the illness itself if we don't play this one right. You look at uh, industries like the restaurant industry, which has uh, 110,000 employees in the state. Curbside dining or, or pickup plans is okay, but this kind of thing is not gonna work for them forever. And they've got tens of thousands of people who are being laid off and that's just one industry of many. We need to make them a critical industry during this difficult time. Keep as many of their establishments open as we can. We can all do social distancing. We can all, we can all make sure we're following the CDC guidelines, but I don't wanna leave wreckage of our economy behind as a result. I think that that would be a more difficult pain to endure than the coronavirus itself. And that's a big debate going on right now. I think people have a lot of time on their hands. They're at home, they're on social media, they're listening. Uh, and it's becoming very divisive right now. The president uh, recently saying that he wanted to get the country rolling again by Easter. A lot of people saying, you can't do that. Are you going to risk my mother's life, my grandmother's life? But it's very intertwined when you really look at this uh, health of the economy and our health. Uh, people concerned about down the road, possibly people who get into a financial trouble with suicide, depression, domestic violence. Where do you stand on that? Do you have one way or the other where you're saying, yeah, let's get the economy rolling or do we have to take it a day at a time right now? We have to remember that they're, they're intertwined, that you can't have a strong economy unless you have a strong population. You can't have a strong economy unless you have a strong health care system. The health care system will be deluged if we don't practice some type of social distancing uh, and isolation uh, in order to get this virus so that the rate of spread is one for one as opposed to one for three. Uh, that means that it's aggressively expanding and that's probably where we are. Once we're able to contain it somewhat and have a, an understanding of the speed of the spread, the velocity of the contagion, 
then I think we can begin to turn our lights on and go back to more business as usual. We're going to have to, listen, Heidi, we're going to have to balance both for as far as the eye can see right now. And it, it isn't one or the other. I think that's a false choice. And that just takes good pragmatic leadership to make sure that we have our eye on both and we're not letting either of them down. All right. Well, we're going to post your economic plan online right now. I know a lot of people are looking for hope and happiness and joy, and I've seen pictures online. You've got a lot of grandkids at your house. What are you guys doing to keep sane right now and happy during this lockdown? Uh, well, I, I don't know if babysitting keeps you sane, but I'm doing a lot of babysitting. It'll so keep you young. Kids, <laughs> so that my kids remain sane. And, you know, the blessing here, Heidi, is I've never spent this much time with my grandkids. You know, we been around and living busy lives. And I've been able to bond with my grandkids like I never thought I would. With my own kids, I've been able to bond in ways I never thought uh, possible. So the upside of this is we're growing closer as families. We have to learn to love each other a little bit more. So rates of domestic violence does, uh, uh, don't go up. Uh, and uh, we just have to learn how to get along. That's going to mean patience, long suffering, and realizing that we're gonna get through this. We're gonna be just fine. It looks from day to day when you read the statistics that we're falling into an abyss from which there's no recovery, but in fact, there will be a recovery. And if we deepen our relationships one with another a little bit more, we're gonna come out of the recovery just fine and maybe even with stronger families. How would that be for a result? I would love that. And the thing is, is I know people are getting stressed out. They're cooped up with their families, but what do we say when we're working and life's going crazy? We wish we had more time at home wish we, and more time with our families. So we've and got we the wish. That's here right. We well, yeah. thank you so much for being with us for this special edition of Take Two. Good luck on the campaign. And again, uh, tell us your website if people want to go sign for you. Keep smiling. All right. Thanks so much. And okay. listen, in the coming weeks, we'll be talking to all of our gubernatorial candidates again. Uh, Governor Hun John Huntsman joining us today. Thanks so much and have fun with your family. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We are done recording. So again, uh, I'm turning because this is how I can see your face. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, that's a great job. You're Thanks, a terrific Heidi, questioner journalist. I've got Abby here who's a pretty good judge of that, too. Well, awesome. you can send her in if, if you get bored and want to chat.